love riding my bike. I love running. I don't care what they think about it. I love it. At that point, when I knew I was going to win, chills just went up and down my entire body. I don't believe there are any good or bad foods. Food is food. I still feel so passionate about getting that record that I'm like, I'm just going to do it. As an athlete, I was like, what's my story or what's your story? What can you learn from it? And what can you teach people? Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. I'm Haley Chirrut and I'm joined by Alyssa Gadeski. Alyssa, there was quite a bit of racing going on between last weekend and this weekend. We are like in this weird season where we're catching up still from pandemic. We had two world championships. I feel like there's so much going on and that included you having a race. So I believe you ran a 50K. How did that go? I did. I ran a smaller, like local event kind of over in Maine. So not local to me too much, but not too far away. Um, you know, I'm just getting miles done and racing is a great way to get miles done in like a more stimulating fashion than just going out and running on your own. Although I will say this race was like smaller than I anticipated in that it ended up basically being a solo 31 mile time trial on my own anyway. Um, I don't think I ran with a single person for one step of the race, which was not super exciting, but I could see people at times. And so that made it more interesting than just going out and doing it on my own, which was cool. Um, and I won. So that was cool. I was the first female. I was the second overall human. So um, unfortunately, my second lap, it was 225K laps. And I uh, had a spectacular fade in that second lap, but managed to hold on for the the female win. And, uh, you know, I think I was, I was quite a ways back from the first guy after we were together through the, the lap. And then uh, my execution failed. But Haley, I have another chance to do it again this weekend. And so I'm hoping to to take that up a notch a little bit um and to execute racing that distance better it had been a while since i really like raced an ultra marathon so you know getting getting my head wrapped around that again you know you gotta you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket you gotta kind of just feel it out and keep doing it i guess Right. Because 50K is like 31 point something miles or something around that 31, 32. So, I mean, it is nice to do if you're going to go do a 31 mile run, at least you have aid stations out there and someone else charting your course. Uh, Like, what is the proper execution for a race like that? I mean, are you trying to like negative split the loops? I, I mean, if you really want to like have great execution on the race, that would be a great way to do it. I think it's, you know, it's pretty similar to how you would run a marathon. Um, and, you know, ideally you don't want to do the first half of the marathon, like, what did I end up doing? 30 minutes faster than the second half of the marathon, right? So, I mean, my fade was was spectacular in that second loop. And so um, the Garmin is actually really interesting right now. There must have been an update that came through because now when you, like, save your activity, it tells you, like, this is your time. This is, like, all the stats. And some of the stats, it breaks down, like, your running time, your walking time, and your idle time. And so I didn't walk a single step of the first loop. So I knew I had run that whole. And then when it like tells me the stats though, it says there was 20 minutes of walking. So all the walking (laughs) happened in that second loop um, as the heat and humidity kind of wore on me. And um, so so that was just a great example of how not to execute the race. Um, I also did a great example of not practicing what I preach in terms of like pre-race prep and really digging into like, pre-race materials, making sure you 100% know everything that's going to be out there at the aid stations. I falsely assumed that all running races would have a water option and an electrolyte option. And so my plan was to be as light 
as possible, like not carry a hydration vest because I did know it was going to be kind of hot and humid. So I wanted to only carry a handheld. And then since I was coming through the loop, I could just swap to another handheld, like identical, that would be already filled with my noon hydration. Like, you know, I wanted to have noon endurance in those two handhelds. And then I figured like through the loop, I could just throw whatever on-course electrolyte was out there just to keep it simple, not be carrying extra things. And Haley, this was a disaster because they only had water at the aid stations. And so it was really hot and humid and I really needed salty, something salty. They didn't have salty snacks. They so there was like no sodium or electrolytes at the aid stations. And they had put it in a pre-race thing that was like on Facebook. And I just hadn't looked at Facebook to find the pre-race stuff there, I guess. Um, and so thank goodness I did put the noon endurance in two of my handhelds. So I was able to salvage the race, I think, out of that. But as I came through the loop, I really, I probably should have honestly <laughs> run up to my car, which was probably like two minutes of running away and then two minutes running back and gotten the noon that was in my car out and like carry the tube of noon sport with me so that I could have refilled my own electrolytes through, um, that second loop because I was in dire shape for some sodium, um, just sweating a ton with the humidity buildup that was out there that day. So, um, you know, I scraped by, by the skin of my teeth, but I need to do a better job digging into making sure I know what's going to be out there. It's just, I'm a little rusty at these things, I guess. And I take things for granted. That is hard. I hope you had some uh, noon instant in, in the car for the drive home or once you got home, a uh, watermelon flavored noon instant is, I I find, the best uh, cure for when you find yourself in that position where you are down on electrolytes and you need help fast. Yes, Haley, that was actually exactly what I reached for. Um, the noon instant, I've been drinking now, like I'm two days after the race and I'm drinking it all the time because I still feel like I've done a couple jogs and a swim and a little spin to like spin out my legs and I still can like feel the like cramping a little bit. So I know I really, you know, really put myself in a little bit of an electrolyte hole and I'm still digging myself out, but the noon instant does work wonders for that. And of course, noon hydration is, um, a sponsor of the iron women podcast and our listeners can get their own stock up your cabinets with noon instant noon sport, all the good electrolytes for every adventure you have this summer at noonlife.com and use the code stay feisty for 30% off of your orders there. Um, but Haley, you know, this, a small local 50 K isn't the big news of the weekend. I was actually watching a lot of track this weekend. I was a very bad triathlon fan. Um, I was more of a track fan this weekend. I really like summer track meets and watching that and they're doing a great job televising them more and more. So I was kind of wrapped up in that, but tell me a little bit about what happened in the triathlon scene this, this week. Yeah. So I think there were some, some big races and one of my favorites, I remember Brazil happened this last weekend. I was not there, but I, I do love that race. I raced in Florianopolis several times and I thought it was really cool. Pamela Oliveira, who we did not think was going to race when we talked to her, I, I think it was last winter, um, our winter, she, uh, said, you you know, she wanted to focus on 70.3s. She didn't have any attention to race Ironman. It sounded like ever again. And she raced in Ironman Brazil, had an incredible race. Um, like, I don't remember the exact time, like eight, low 850s. So very fast, 
got her Kona slot. I think that will be very exciting to see uh, Pamela in Kona. And then Joanna Ryder, who is someone we need to we need to have her on the show, but she was second. I, she raced Ironman Texas, St. George, and Brazil, Swiss athlete. Just incredible. Has been so solid at all of those. And I thought that was an incredible performance. Obviously, she already had a Kona slot. So the other slot went to Bia Neris. And Bia is an athlete who... I raced with Pamela and Bia in 2014 when they were just starting to look at doing middle distance racing. They come from ITU world doing a little bit of middle distance racing and to see Bia have, I think that was her first Ironman. Um, and, and she is a mom. She's taken a break to have kids or at least one child and come back, nail it, get a Kona slot. I think having two Brazilian women in, uh, in uh, Kona this year is really exciting. And I mean, the Brazilian women are just doing really well. We saw Victoria Lopes win in LA. Obviously, Luisa Batista is tearing it up on the, you know, kind of the middle distance and PTO circuit. So it's cool to see just like this influx of really high level Brazilian women um, racing right now. And and then I think there were also a couple races over in Europe, Challenge St. Polten, which was one that uh, I, it was in Austria and I thought it looked like my kind of race in that like you swam in two different lakes. I think you had like a run. You swam the first part of the swim in one lake and then you ran and you swam the second part of the swim in another lake. I just love the creativity there. Um, Lucy Buckingham won that. Grace Tech like had an incredible run, came in for second. And then in Germany, we saw uh, Ironman I mean, I'm probably saying this wrong, Kreitschgau, where Laura Phillip, the return of Laura Phillip, we you know we, unfortunately, Laura did not race in St. George because she had COVID and she is doing better, won the race there in her home country. So, I mean, it's it's cool. The season is just rolling on. I mean, nothing is slowing down at all. And, and this weekend is no exception because Alyssa, a big, big thing happening this weekend, um, either on Sunday or Monday, I think, June 5th or June 6th, the sub- project. Have you followed any of the hype around that? Oh, I didn't know it was coming up. I have followed a little bit, um, but I didn't know it was coming up so soon. I saw that some of the pacers have been released and, um, but for in my head, I guess I thought it was like the end of June, but no, I didn't know it was coming up soon. So hopefully that will be something we can watch. I don't know. Are they doing coverage of this? Oh, Alyssa, this is totally done for media. <laughs> I mean, it's a total coverage. I mean, I think it's going to have really good coverage because, I mean, it's either on the 5th or 6th. I think it's they want perfect conditions, right? So I don't know if the exact like time and date has been set, but um, I mean, I think it's just going to, as the weather forecast comes out, they will decide on that. So you can follow sub eight. I think it's sub eight, sub seven, sub eight.com uh, is actually the website, but it looks like they're going to have really good coverage. Um, I think, uh, you know, we have, we talked to Lucy Charles about this when we interviewed her last fall. Um, she obviously is injured. Kat Matthews stepped in, in her place. Um, so the two women who will be racing are Kat Matthews and Nicholas Spierig. And, uh, you know, they're going for sub eight. Chrissy Wellington's world record from, I think, 2011 Challenge Roth is 818. And Kat Matthews and Nicholas Spierig, um, Kat obviously was just second in St. George. Nicholas Spierig is the 2012 London gold medalist. She has won an Ironman. She won Cosmel, I think, in 2014. So they are the the key women who are going to try to break that sub-8 barrier. I think the course, I was looking at it, it's happening in Germany. And 
it will be a point to point swim. And then they ride, I think 10 kilometers to a racetrack. And then they ride around a racetrack for the rest of the, um, Ironman distance, 112 mile bike ride. And then they will also run 26.2 miles marathon on that racetrack as well. And like you mentioned, they have support crews. Um, there are a lot of familiar names on both Kat Matthews and Nicholas Spierig's support teams. A lot of triathletes, including Lucy Buckingham, who just won in St. Poulton. I think she's on, uh, I think Kat Matthews, uh, bike crew. And so it's definitely going to be exciting. I think it's exciting for, um, the triathlon community to have an event like this. And I think, I mean, it is also a race between the two of them. Like, what do you think they're going to make it? And who do you think is going to win? Well, I don't know. I, I mean, I definitely haven't been following this as much as you have, because I am just now really wrapping my head around it all because, so there are obviously allowed to be drafting throughout all of this, like the sub two project, right? When they did it for the marathon. So it's, does it count as world? I guess this is my other question with it too. I don't know if you know, it, it won't count as like the new Ironman world record because like, right? No, it won't count as a world record. I mean, even Christian Blumenfeld's race last year in Cozumel didn't count as a world record. I don't, right. the record keeping in this sport is very interesting. I think this is, this is modeled after Ilya Kipchoge's breaking two. Um, attempt, you know, or he did actually do it, um, in the marathon, you know, where they created a Peloton around him and they ran on a flat, you know, very controlled course. And he did break two hours in the marathon. And so this is triathlon's version of that. So Elliot Kipchoge, that didn't count, you know, the world record in the marathon is not 159, but it's still incredible to see that with some, help, you know, with breaking the wind and that kind of thing. Um, you know, this is possible. So, so that's, that, that is, there is drafting on the bike and that's where most of the supporters are. They are on the bike, um, which I think they will be able to just kind of create a little Peloton for Kat and Nicola to, to jump in there and get the fastest time possible. I, I'm actually not sure if either of them have support on the swim or the run or if they're, I, I should have looked that up. I definitely did see, I saw some of the pacers for the swim. I didn't look at, read the article close enough to see it for the run, but I just was assuming across all three disciplines, I think they have some help um, coming in. And so I don't know if that's just to have people in the water around them or to actually be a draft thing. I mean, it gets, it's going to be tricky, I guess, for them, especially in the the swim. I think it will be interesting because it's not like you necessarily well, maybe they have a setup where they can be seeing metrics um, pretty easily and to know if like their pacers on pace, if they need to drop the pacer, like all those sorts of things. Right. So, well, Lisa, I have a surprise for you and we clearly have a lot of questions about the sub eight project. So here is my conversation with Kat Matthews herself about the sub eight project. Hi, Kat. Welcome back to the Iron Women podcast and congratulations on your incredible race in St. George. How are you? How are you feeling? It's only been a couple weeks. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm okay. I think every day I've had a different answer to that question. It's taken me a good few weeks to say I'm okay. I've, it's been I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm tired. No, I'm now I'm okay. So yeah, race week again. <laughs> yes. And hopefully at least you're like riding the high of your incredible race in St. George. Like, so emotionally and mentally you are uh, feeling okay. Did you get to celebrate at all? Uh, yeah, I indulged. Um, it was a good, it was a good, um, couple of days after the race, wasn't it? It's just, um, 
St George isn't the best place for a party, but uh, no, it was good. Had a very restful week. Good. I know. And like you said, each day, each day things can change. And you have a couple days now until the uh, race at the Sub 8 Project. So I, we've, you know, previewed this uh, incredible I don't, is you call it a project? Is that what you call it? Um, is that, or race project event? Uh, yeah. <laughs> triathlon yeah. showcase <laughs> that's happening. And so just to, to remind our listeners, it, you are racing, you're trying to break eight hours at the Ironman distance and you have a team of pacers. So can you tell us how you picked your pacers and if they'll be helping you with swim, bike or run? Yeah. So exactly that. I wouldn't say it's like, I'm trying to go eight hours for an Ironman. I would say, yeah, it's a it's a team event where we're trying to break the time barrier for the Ironman distance. So I'm very aware that some people will be like, oh, it's not an Ironman. You know, you're using other people, but that is we're not trying to make it. We're trying to, you know, really break down those like what is possible barriers. And the team element comes in from me. I've got two triathletes swimming who are much better swimmers than me. <laughs> not quite your standard. Um but yeah, two triathletes and then um, the bike. I've got six pure cyclists who do time trials and specifically they've done team trial, time trials before and some of them together as well as a team. So they're all domestic um, UK and I've got one from Ireland. Uh, and then again, two triathletes helping on the bike as well to bridge the gap. Um, so we're going to have a sort of powerhouse from the cyclists bridging the gap triathlete and then me in the shelter hopefully and then the run again it's going to be a bit of a it's mostly triathletes um they can run the pace I need to run you know for this for shorter stints so it's not um it wasn't something that I needed to look outside of the triathlon world and for me it was more about bringing together like a really great group of people who can do the event as best as possible as a team rather than picking individuals who might be specifically best at one thing. What is that run pace? What run pace are you targeting? Yeah. <laughs> well, I said today uh, that I'm going to set off at a 2.42. Um, so that's, that's the goal. Uh, and I want to feel strong and finish hard. So how that how that happens I'm not sure and there is obviously a chance that I won't feel great um obviously as you as you know the lead up to a world champs you're not your training's never perfect you then have to taper then you race then you're resting then you're recovering so I honestly have no real confidence in my run but somehow I'm still like yeah that's achievable so I'm gonna give it a go I think that's all you can do have you had a chance to check out the course because I know it is a very unique course yeah uh we've been on the racetrack now for two days um the first day it wasn't we didn't have the cyclists it was just um i'm gonna term them cyclists and triathletes it's easier um but yeah so it's just us triathletes having a bit of a play around and we were sort of hitting 45k an hour um quite comfortably and now we've got the cyclists in front and it's like yeah we're hitting on with the wind uh we're lapping averaging at sort of 47k an hour so it's just whether we can sustain that uh it's really up to the cyclists I think that's the other thing of this is that as a triathlete you're always in control you're always pacing it but this event will be made as well not just by my you know swim bike and run but it'll be made by the power that those 
those sort of micro teams that we're using will be able to put out because I, they're the limiter in a way, not me. And it's the same actually for the boys, which is really interesting. It's how fast can those riders go to sort of, because we are good enough. You know, it's not like we're just, we're going to be the lim- the weak link in a group of cyclists. As triathletes, our cycling abilities, you know, Christian, Joe, me, Nicola, like our cycling is very up there. So that's really quite cool. And what about gear? Are you using all the same gear that you used in St. George or are you making modifications for this different course? Um, everyone's asking that. I think it's maybe a question that's come from the media, like, oh, you know, the gear and technology that's being adapted. But honestly, you know, as professional athletes, we're, we've already optimised everything. Um, so I think it's one of those things where it's like, actually, uh, you know, no, I, basically everything's the same um the big differences i guess are the fact that you're not carrying your own uh hydration and nutrition in the same way but it's the same instead of an aid station you're able to utilize a team car um and then it's more about the techno the technology in terms of the tactics so the team dynamics with aerodynamics and power profiles and who goes where who drafts who who does what rotation and that's a really flexible it has to be a really flexible um, thing on the day as well, because if you've got eight people, they're going to peak and trough with how they feel over a four hour period. And with resting and then coming in and keeping the speed and then getting back up to speed, there's there's a lot of little technology, I guess you could call it, um, elements in that in that tactics and team dynamics, which I think is is where this is really interesting. Okay. And so a team car is going to bring you fluids and nutrition for, for the entire Peloton. Yeah, I think so. That's exciting. (laughs) Yeah, it's one of those things that's um, developing every day. We're getting more and more information. And I I mean, I think the information is out there. But as again, as you know, as an athlete, you have to just like uh, sort of filter what you take on board as something that you need to pay attention to. So right now I'm like, just stay healthy, just keep doing the things that you need to do. And then obviously you're now coordinating and managing a team of 10 other athletes. And that has its own challenges with each each different sort of group of people wanting to do different things. So yeah, it's a it's a challenge. Um but yeah, I think that's I think in terms of sorry, in terms of hydration, yeah, that's the plan. Um there's specific rules on the time that the car can how many times you can have the car next to you and then how long it can be there obviously because otherwise the car would be there and you'd be draft you know they're making it they're keeping the rules really tight to make sure it's not a it's not a joke it's a it's a genuine legitimate you know support vehicle but it's an individual well, team time trial I guess especially for the bike and so you are racing Nicholas Beerig and the clock does that change your mindset compared to a traditional race um I don't think so. Uh, the, the the mindset in terms of giving it your best effort is just slightly swayed because I won't be able to give my best effort on the bike. So I'm still planning to give my best effort for the swim. I won't be giving a best effort for the bike, but then I'll give an even bigger effort for the marathon. So I'm I'm targeting a time that I think is sort of out of my like ability which fills me with dread and fear and it's confidence, isn't it? The first 20 K like, can you set off that hard? But I think when you're in a Ironman normally, I mean, I am, I always race quite conservatively. I know, you know, I use heart rate a lot and, and, and I would, I haven't yet had a bad marathon. So I think it's a different mindset in terms of where you prioritize 
the performance, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so this is a Phoenix project. Can you tell us a little bit about the Phoenix Foundation? Yeah, so they're the ones obviously heading up the whole event. Um, And as Nicola always describes so well, which I'm always um, listening into her, is that the the project is designed around what I was saying at the beginning about breaking down those barriers. And for me, I'm breaking down barriers in terms of the team dynamics, the terms of the time overall and the run. And if I can do it and we can do it as a team and inspire others, it's about understanding that, you know, those barriers that you put in place, that we put in place now, you know, as a as a cohort, as in, you know, oh, running a sub 250, that's incredible. That that becomes the barrier. So if we're breaking down these barriers constantly, we're inspiring a, a sort of future generation and, and the children who are coming into the sport to think, oh, cool. Well, if they can do that, what can I do in the sport? So, yeah, that's the that's the Phoenix message. I love it. And so tentatively happening this Sunday and um, rain delay is for Monday. I think sub7sub8.com is where we can watch. Do I have all of that right? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Well, we are going to be watching, Kat. I'm so excited. I'm going to be up and watching and um, I, I love it. I love this event. So I'm I'm rooting for you for sure. Thank you. And what's next for you, Haley? Oh, goodness. I think I'm actually going to jump into a Clash Watkins Glen. I haven't done a Clash race yet, so I get my own racetrack experience. I think slightly different racetrack. I think the one in Watkins Glen is very hilly. So um, not going for anything (laughs) close to 242 pace. But um, (laughs) yeah, but, uh, you know, I think these racetrack races, whether you're going for, you know, the speed barrier of eight hours or you know just enjoying running in a lap and having people at a wine festival cheer for you are kind of a unique new thing in our sport so I'm excited to try one out myself yours sounds good this wine festival yeah. mine's a I'm little interested. a little lower pressure but anyway I will be inspired by by the barriers you break this weekend so best of luck thank you so much thanks okay Alyssa we got a little insight from Kat so I'm gonna ask you again who do you think is going to win? I don't know if I want to pick a winner and there's only two people racing because then I just feel like I'm, I don't know. I don't, I don't think there is a loser in a thing like this, I feel like. But if I had to garner who I think might come out on top, um, I would say I'd be betting for Nicholas Spearig because just, you know, she doesn't have a ton of iron distance experience, but I think this is going to be quite different than racing an actual Ironman. And I think she has a lot of poise in racing. She has a lot of race experience. She can go really fast. And I think something like this will just suit someone like that. Um, but I, and Kat Matthews, I think is, you know, I don't want to say at a disadvantage, but she did find out, I think Nicholas had quite more of a heads up that she would be doing this sort of thing. So, um, that would surely, I think help to be able to wrap your head around that with more time and like, just be thinking through your game plan there but it will be exciting to kind of see how it how it all does unfold yeah do you think they both go under eight no no <laughs> i mean Haley, really so you fast. Don't. i mean it's so fast right and i mean yeah you can have help but like your body still has to do it you know and i just think we would have seen a lot more closer performances to that eight hour mark by now, if people's bodies were like truly, truly capable. And and it's not to say they couldn't next year to try again, but on the first try here to like pull it out like that, I no. I mean, one will be like a huge win, I think on the day, if one of them do, but 
I would say very small chance that both of them do. Yeah. Ah, interesting. I mean, cats, cats PR, I think is like 840 is what she wanted. Ironman Florida. Um, I, I mean, Nicola, I think was sub nine at Cozumel, but again, that was in 2014. So it's been a little while. So I, yeah, I don't know. I think it'll be interesting. It'll be very interesting. So we'll, we'll chat back next week and uh, see what happened. But um, I like, you know, creative, fun races, new, new ways to, uh, view the sport and so i wish both cat and nicola the best of luck as well as all their pacers yeah that's a whew, that's a lot of responsibility to take on so we will definitely be watching and Haley, we do have a, a mailbag and it's a follow-up mailbag to last week's chat that we had we answered a question from sophia about her running and how to kind of stay injury free going into a race um now that she's healthy with her running and things like that and we talked a lot in her, our answer to sophia about you know, running on a soft surface, we said you can continue running on a soft surface pretty much up to the race. Like, don't worry too much about running on asphalt or anything to like mimic race conditions. Just do what keeps you healthy, that sort of thing. And her follow-up question is if we would count a treadmill as a soft surface. And Haley, I can read your mind on this, but take it away. Oh, yes. Yes. I count a treadmill as a soft surface. It is a lot softer. I mean, even, uh, you know, most treadmills are a little bit like, buoyant or something like bouncy you know there are definitely bouncy ones but if they're not the bouncy kind it's definitely still like a there's a little bit of give on any treadmill for sure and just that kind of rubber i think is is good and counts as a soft surface for for sure sophia so you can do all the treadmill running your heart desires um if you're like Haley and i and you enjoy the treadmill Haley, you you do enjoy the treadmill right i love the treadmill yeah, I, do I love it yeah <laughs> <laughs> um and so for our listeners, you can continue to send in questions to our mailbag at ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And Alyssa, we have a great interview this week. I mean, every week is a great interview, but this week we're talking to Lauren Parker. And I, I really wanted to chat with Lauren after I watched her race at the Ironman World Championships in St. George, because as we've talked about many, many times on this uh, podcast since then, um, it was an incredibly challenging day. And Lauren did it uh, in a, like, she used a hand cycle for the bike and a racing chair for the run and obviously swam. So did the whole thing, all those hills with her arms and which is just, it was the most incredible thing to see. And I wanted to, you know, chat with her about it. So that's why we are talking to her, but to give a little background on Lauren, um, she is a two-time paratriathlon world champion. She was the Tokyo paratriathlon silver medalist. So if you remember, we talked to Kendall Gretsch last, uh, last fall, I think after the Paralympics and they had that incredibly close finish. I think it was way less than a second um, sprint finish at the end. Kendall won. Lauren was second. And so we also wanted to get, uh, you know, Lauren's perspective on that race. So she does tell us about that. Um, Lauren was an incredibly elite triathlete who injured her spinal cord in a bike crash in 2017. So she has wasted no time really getting back on the race course. She's now one of the world's best paratriathletes at every distance. She raced in St. George last fall at the 70.3 world championship where she won her division. And then obviously just won it again at the full Ironman distance in St. George. So Lauren tells us about both of those races, uh, the challenges of getting to the start and the finish line in both of those and what she has planned for the rest of the year. So we'll have that conversation with Lauren right after the break. Hi, Lauren. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. 
Hey, thanks for having me. We are so excited to chat with you because it's been just over two weeks since your incredible finish at the Ironman World Championship in St. George. I was there. It was a very challenging day, almost as challenging as it has been for me to get myself on this call with all of our technical difficulties. But I definitely don't feel recovered yet. So I'm curious, how are you feeling? I'm actually not feeling too bad. I'm back home and back into training. Um, yeah, it was such a big day um, on race day, you know, 14 hours worth of work using my arms. So um, I was pretty sore, sore the next day, but I've recovered um, pretty well. And Lauren, you raced in St. George for the 70.3 World Championships last September, and you yeah. finished in seven hours and 54 minutes, and mm-hmm. you called it at that point the hardest course you'd done. So. Yeah. What made you want to go back for the full distance? Like, was that, you know, at what point did you start thinking like, okay, I can do double that? <laughs> I know. I'm a bit crazy because, yeah, the 70.3 was definitely one of the hardest days I've ever had. Um, you know, one of the hardest courses I've had to um, I've had to do uh, compete on. And uh, I'm just crazy to want to go back to do double that. Um, <laughs> I got Ironman gave me a spot and I didn't say no to it. So I was up for the challenge and I took it on and I only had like eight weeks worth of prep for, for the Ironman just gone um, two weeks ago. So, you know, it was a, a short Ironman prep, but, you know, I, I did the best I could and, got as much um, training in as I, as I could for an Ironman. Was the, do you think the shorter prep time like almost helped you mentally because you're like, okay, it's, it's only going to be eight weeks. Let's just do what I can and give it a go. Or like, so I assume that's when you found out you had a spot too, right? Yeah. Yeah, I did. And yeah, I found out and then changed my training up and got some longer, longer rides and runs in. Um, I didn't, you know, I didn't think I needed longer than eight weeks. I knew that I could, you know, get a, a good prep done still um, with a short amount of time. So, um, yeah, it was probably good mentally that I didn't have, you know, longer than that. Um, but, yeah, I got to the, to the start line in the best shape I could and ready to tackle tackle one of the, one of the hardest days I've had. <laughs> Are you always the type of person who just jumps at opportunities? Yes. Yeah. I love, yeah. I love a challenge and I love pushing myself and seeing what I can do, seeing what I can get out of myself. And, um, you know, I jump at every opportunity, especially now after my accident as a para athlete, um, I try and make the most of every opportunity that comes up. Including doing this interview very early in the morning, which we thank you for that. Um, I saw you going up the hill on the run course, you know, two weeks ago in St. George, and it it looked like you were working very hard. That run course was very hilly. And as you mentioned, you're, you're doing everything, the bike course and the run course were so hilly and you're doing everything with your arms. So can you kind of just talk us through your day and how you handled that cold swim, the hilly and windy bike and that hot and very hilly run? Yeah. Um, I, I hate the cold and I was quite nervous and worried about the swim actually um, because the days before the race, it was like 14 degrees Celsius uh, freezing and I just, I froze up and, you know, I was, I was a bit nervous about the swim, but it warmed up on race day and it wasn't too bad. I actually put a good swim together 
um, I think an hour and six minutes. Um, and then, yeah, onto the bike, I felt pretty good right from the start. And um, the first 60Ks went pretty fast, but then you can get quite overwhelmed if you start thinking about how much you have to go. And I still had the two big, um, like, hilly loops um, in front of me. So I really had to pull myself back and think about, you know, um, what I'm doing right at that, right in the moment. I had to, rather than think about how much I've got left and then the run, um, yeah, I just had to, yeah, think about every pedal stroke and what I was doing in that moment. So that's how I got myself through that challenging bike course. But, you know, going up those hills uh, with with my arms, um, was definitely a big challenge and I had to make, make the most of the downhills as well to get my average back up. Um, but I got through it and all week um, prior to the Ironman, I was talking about how, you know, brutal the bike course is and was, but it was actually the run course that was much harder. Um, it was so hilly, especially on a racing wheelchair, um, getting up those hills was um, so hard and yeah definitely one of the hardest um, days that I've had um, in a race and also the 70.3 in St George last year was one of the you know the hardest day as well so St George the courses in St George are absolutely brutal but um, getting up, yeah, up the hills on the run course I had to actually I couldn't push on the push rims that I use on the racing chair I um, because they were the hills were too steep, so I had to actually take my running gloves off and grab the tires with my bare hands and yeah, like move the wheels that way to get up the. I don't know if that makes sense, but to get up the hills. Um. So yeah, it's it was a big day, challenging, and after the first lap of the run course, I thought, you know, that that took me two and a half hours just to do that first lap, and I thought, how am I going to do it again? <laughs> but you know, I just kept going, I kept pushing and um, I made it to the end and crossing that finish line was pretty special. I had uh, my new coach there, Emma Carney, and um, some good friends there at the finish line, um, one including Bob Babbitt <laughs> and my best friend Marcy who lives in St George. Um, and, yeah, it was just a special moment to have them there. How did you feel about the accessibility of the course? Because it got pretty narrow in parts. And so I'm curious about, from your perspective, I mean, were you able to navigate that okay? The run was very hard with the narrow spots um, and, um, like, the tight bends and corners and stuff, especially, you know, when you had when I had runners in front of me and runners coming towards me, um, I couldn't get around. And for most of it, I, I just had to... Um, when I wasn't going uphill, I just had to push easy or stay behind runners who were, you know, in the in the path. So I couldn't really go hard or fast or make the most of the downhills and stuff like that. Um, plus, when it's steep downhills, I've got to make sure my, my chair doesn't skid because it's it, it skids easy, especially if there's a a downhill and then a left hand turn. So I, I had to go slow on those parts and just be careful because uh, you can blow at the front tyre quite easily because it's very small. So I just had to be careful of that. But 
um, yeah, I navigated around. It was just, it was just difficult um, in a racing chair. And Lauren, we mentioned your time in the 70.3 in St. George was just under eight hours. And then your time on the full Ironman course was an incredible 14 hours. So it's not super normal for an Ironman to be less than double a 70.3 time. So yeah. did you take a lot from that 70.3 experience and like put that into your eight weeks of prep for the full? And I mean, it sounds like I think the run course was quite a bit different than the 70.3 run course. So did you know how much different that would be? Like, had you been training with hills that steep to know that's what was coming for you? Yeah. I mean, I knew the run course had changed from the 70.3 for the full. Um, thank God. Um, Cause the 70.3 run course was definitely more difficult. Um, uh, definitely more uphill. Um, and there was, parts on the 70.3 run course where I could I could really hardly get up the hill and then there was a big steep downhill um which wasn't good or safe for a racing wheelchair so it was hard to get through that course so I'm, I'm glad it was changed slightly still very challenging for the full distance but um a bit easier um, than the 70.3 like the course so that's why I was able to shave off some time um, and, you know, do better than just eight hours for a half. Um, so yeah, that, yeah, that's why I was able to shave off, shave off that time. But, um, I definitely in training, I included a lot more hill training, hill work, not, not heaps and heaps, but just to know, to give me the confidence that I was able to get up the hills, um, you know as slow or as fast as I could. Is there someone like when they said you had a spot and you had raced there before knowing that course and kind of feeling like parts of that run course maybe weren't the, the easiest or the safest for navigating in a wheelchair racing and things like that. So do you have someone you talked to at Ironman? Like, or were you able to ask someone questions to kind of like figure out, yes, the course had been changed or no, I'm in for that again, or like give suggestions and kind of your perspective on how it is as a athlete? Yeah, my friend asked um, Iron Man those questions and to make sure it was it was okay for a racing wheelchair um, and that the course was changed because the 70.3, uh, I'm not sure whether I'll do the 70.3 again because of that run course if it's not changed, um, just because in a racing wheelchair it was, yeah, really, really difficult to navigate. Um but when I found out that the course was changed, you know, I was all up for it. Um, I, you know, yeah, they said that, you know, I the course was changed and we didn't have the big downhill, which was um, the unsafe part. So that gave me confidence to take up the challenge. And I think before the 70.3 Worlds last year, you had actually suffered third degree burns on your feet prior to the race. So can you tell us what happened and how you managed that during the race? Yeah, I was training in Las Vegas, and after a after a two hour bike ride, it was a forty five degree Celsius day. I don't know what that is in hot, very hot, hundred degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah, it was very very hot. And my friend put me in the car in the front, and it takes him about forty minutes to pack the bikes up in the back, and I was just chilling out in the front with my feet up on the dash, um, with, and my feet were against the glass. I had the air conditioner on, so I was quite cool. And 
um, during that time, my feet were burning. Um, obviously, I can't feel my feet. Um, and they're out there for 40 minutes. So it wasn't until a few hours later that I really, that the blisters came up. And I thought, oh, they'll be all right. I'll just put some Band-Aids on them. <laughs> um, and then the next day we were driving to St. George uh, and that's when they were getting worse. And I was told, you know, I need to go to hospital. So we went there and the doctor said, luckily I, I went to the hospital because, you know, they're third degree burns and I'm probably going to lose my toes. Um, so, yeah, that was a big shock when he said I'll, I'll probably lose my toes. Then I was referred to the burns clinic um, who were absolutely amazing. Um, just the doctors and the nurses there were, were so good in, in treating me and um, I said, well, I've got I've got a race <laughs> in a week's time here in St. George, the 70.3 Ironman, and um, the doctor's like, no, you can't race and everything like that. But then he, he didn't change his mind after a few days, but he just left the nurses to help me, knowing that they'll help me try and get to the race. Um, so that's what happened and so I was the toes were being treated and two nurses who are now really good friends of mine um, they said they'd come to the race to redress the burns after every leg of the race so they were there before the race to make sure my feet were okay for the swim they had to redress my feet in transition after the swim um, so they're not they weren't all wet and getting infected for the bike and then in transition that two transition two they redressed them and at the end of the race they also did the same so how amazing for nurses to be out there doing that plus during the 70.3 my doctor who said not to race he was there running up the hills next to me so it was just um a special day and yeah they're just special people people over there um you know great support and I'm still friends with everyone then they all came to the the Ironman a few weeks ago um yeah so oh my gosh I'm like I must be really hungry and like tired from my training or something because like that story is making me cry it's such a nice story and I'm really glad that the community you know around I guess they I don't know if you were in the hospital around Vegas or St. George or wherever they were but kind of came together for you so that was thanks for kind of telling us that story I'm glad that they have become lifelong friends but yeah um the 70.3 world championships were only three weeks after the Tokyo Paralympic Games the Paralympics were a sprint distance race with a 750 meter swim 20k or a 12 mile bike and a 5k or a 3.1 mile run on flat but technical course with a lot of turns and then the 70.3 is much longer and much hillier so totally different ball games we're playing here. Yeah. So was it really hard to go from the Paralympics right into that 70.3 worlds or was it nice to have like such a big change of pace after that? Yeah. So I was only training for sprint distance. Um, I wasn't focusing my training on 70.3, um, but I was really fit going into the Tokyo games. So I knew my fitness would carry me through for a 70.3. And I knew that after Tokyo, I'd have a few weeks um, I don't know how many weeks, a couple of weeks there to get some longer rides in and just hope for the best. <laughs> I knew I could, um, I knew that I'd be able to get through a 70.3. I didn't know how fast, but it was more of a, you know, 
to a fun race to get back to Ironman and um which is what I always wanted to do um but yeah after Tokyo yeah I just I was so fit and so ready um for Tokyo that I had the confidence of my fitness and strength I think it was only three weeks, but um, very, very close. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about Tokyo a little bit because you won a silver medal mm-hmm. and I consider that race and that finish probably one of the most exciting finishes of the year and maybe ever. So mm-hmm. we did talk to gold medalist Kendall Gretsch last year, and we'd love to hear your perspective on that race and that finish. Did you know it was going to be so close? Were you getting information on the course? Um, I mean, I knew going into the the race that it was going to be close between Kendall and I. Uh, and during the race, I was also getting information um, that she was catching me, which is normally the case. I just need to, you know, keep that distance in front of her because we've got um, a staggered start time. I go off first and she goes off four minutes later because of the dis- difference in disabilities. But, um, yeah, I was standing on that well, not standing, sitting on that start line in Tokyo, knowing that I had the best preparation that I could have had and I was so fit and so ready to put a good race together. Um, I had the best swim I've ever had. I was on the bike. I didn't feel as strong as I normally would on the bike, but I knew that I was still, um, I still had enough time ahead of Kendall uh, to get the job done. Um and then on the run, I had a few things go go wrong um, that sort of set me back a little bit. Um, I don't want to touch on it too much, but um, just on the on the last U turn, I had un, an unfortunate circumstance uh, with eight hundred meters to go. I got stuck behind the Spanish girl who was the bronze medalist uh, right at the worst part of the course. It was coming up to a U turn and. She was, I couldn't get around, she was in the way um, and I was telling, I was yelling um, a few words for her to move over but yeah, she didn't so I had to stop my arms, stop momentum to get around the U-turn and just to get back up to speed took a, a bit longer and, and you know, and it come down to a sprint and finished against Kendall. When that happens, um, you know, she's always got it got it over me with um, her strength and her upper body movement. Um, She can propel forward quicker than me. So I just did all I could. Um, I put my head down. I knew she was coming. But, yeah, lost by a second definitely hurt, Um, especially in those circumstances. Um, But when I look at the silver medal, I have to be proud that, it's only been five years since my accident and what I've been through to get that, um, to get there has been a, a huge challenge um, and not many people get the Paralympic silver medal. I was going for the gold medal uh, and it was definitely one of the most disappointing races and times of my life, to be honest, um, to lose by a second in those circumstances. But on the other hand, I have to be proud and it just gives me something to something more to chase because in Paris I'll be getting that gold medal. I love it. I love it. And Lauren, you are coached by, you mentioned Emma Carney. She is a two-time ITU world champion. Mm -hmm. So can you just tell us a little bit about your relationship? 
Yeah, so I met her officially only in February of this year and um, things changed, have changed in my life with um, my team and she said she'd step in to help me um, with travelling and she'll help me prepare for Ironman, um, Ironman World Championships and she said she'd be able to go there, travel there with me and help me through the race. Um, so our relationship just got stronger and uh, I asked her if, she, if she'd want to coach me and she was all up for it. So I, my previous coach to that was Dan Atkins and he was, he's been amazing for the last three years and I have a really good relationship with him too. So it was a hard, a hard decision, but I just needed a change and um, I'm great friends with Emma Carney. We get along really well and she's a great coach. I believe in her and I trust her, which is really important as well. And I just need, needed that change. And, um, yes, yeah, so I'll have her on my team um, right up until Paris and beyond. And I think we can, um, yeah, I think she can get me ready to be the best I can be in all my races going forward from here. And you have graciously, as we mentioned, you're talking to us very early in the morning in Australia. You're about to head out for a training session. So we are curious, what is your training session today? What do you know what's going, what's happening? Yeah, I'm going to the athletics track and I'm doing a run session, um, about an hour run session. And I'll be doing, um, my main session is 10 times 400 meter efforts with 200 meters easy in between. Um, and then I'll have a little set after that, but that's the main the main uh, bulk of the session, um, just to, um, to get my sprint, because I'm training for sprint again now. Um, I've got Montreal uh, World Series race um, on the 8th of July. So back to sprint distance. And so I've got to get my sprint sessions back up um, after the after the long stuff of Ironman. After well, Lauren, after that, thanks. After, oh, go ahead. Yeah, after my run session, I head straight to the gym for an hour gym session, and then I head straight to a massage, and then I've got a, a just an easy bike session this afternoon. So that's my day. <laughs> the life of a triathlete, right? Yeah, it's yeah. like, um, <laughs> <laughs> but. Thanks so much for taking the time this morning to chat with us. We look forward to following your racing this summer and into Paris. I think we, we won't tell Kendall, but we're, we're rooting I've, I've for you already, um, as you go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I've told Kendall already, but we're, we're good friends. We get along really well. So it's all, it's all fun <laughs> until we get on the start line. <laughs> well, good luck with those 400s and we'll talk to you soon, Lauren. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Okay, Alyssa, you learned a lot from your 50K last weekend. What are you going to really focus on for this weekend? You have another 50K. Where is it? Is the course similar? Have you checked out what the aid stations are going to have? Um, so it's in Massachusetts. So I'm headed a couple hours south and it's in, it's called the Chesterfield Gorge. And so I definitely need to look a little bit more, but in my head, you're running in a gorge then, right? So I do know it's two 25K loops again, but like out and back loops. So that's good, which will mean that, and there's like a bunch of races going on. So like the 50 milers and the 100K people start ahead of us. So there's going to be a lot of people on this 25K loop. 
Um, so hopefully I won't feel quite as solo time trialing as I did before, but I've decided to mentally break it down into like four segments and try to really focus on pacing so that I can enjoy it. The second part a little bit more. And so really try and be patient. Like I tell all of my athletes I coach in that first half, make that first like half feel comfortable. I'm going to split my watch every like out and back. So then I can really like, you know, keep the old noggin working and making sure I'm pacing appropriately and being patient in the first couple of halves and then try and, I don't know about negative splitting the 50 K. I think that's pretty like high bar to set, but you know, at least pretty close better than my like 30 minute lap difference in the last week. So hoping that, yeah, that experience pays off there. And I have started to dig into what the aid stations have. It does look like they're going to have an electrolyte option, but at this point I am going to probably just stuff some noon tabs in my bra for safekeeping because Haley, this is the other thing that was really exciting to me is I was able to go fast and light because I wore that smash fest queen pocket bra. Have you, do you own the smash fest queen pocket bra, the black one? I do. I do. I've used it for a lot of my, uh, yeah, longer runs. Cause you can throw a gel right in there. You can throw not only a gel, Haley, you can throw five gel. I've thrown pop tarts into there before. Just so people know you can fit a lot of things and it's really easy to carry things. And so I just like being able to, you know, racing is more fun than doing your own like long runs at times because there is support, but, um, you still have to carry things. And so I just enjoy being able to like stuff them in there and have my hands free and not have to have something on my back either is really nice. So I'm stuffing a lot of things into the bra and people can watch my boobs just get smaller and smaller as I run, um, as I keep taking my gels out. But, um, you know, it's the little things that just keep me entertained and occupied as I'm clipping away these 31 miles again, Haley. But, um, I'm excited. I think, yeah, I'm getting the first one out of the way was nice. And then the second one, it's like, all right, Alyssa, let's like actually focus on executing it nicer. Well, best of luck to you. Close that gap. Less than 30 minutes between the two loops this week and definitely carry your own electrolytes, carry that noon and make sure that you are, are still running strong in uh, those final miles, but good luck to you. Can't wait to hear about it. Thanks Haley. Talk to you next week. You have been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Feisty Media and is edited and produced by Lindsay Glassford. Head to livefeisty.com to find more podcasts, events, stories, and fresh perspectives. Thanks for listening. Alyssa, Amino Co. has been a longtime podcast sponsor, and every time I'm listening to the show and I hear our Amino Co. ad, I'm always shocked to hear how Amino Co. co-founder Dr. Robert Wolf has run a marathon in under two hours and 30 minutes, 62 times. I just can't believe that's a real stat. Me either. It is very impressive, and it gives me a lot of confidence Dr. Wolf knows what he's talking about when it comes to performance and recovery. I actually took AminoCo Heal before and after my recent knee surgery. I've been using Heal a lot after really big workouts as I've started to ramp up my training. And I also use my personal favorite, AminoCo Perform, before and during my hardest sessions. Do you have a favorite flavor? 
for perform, I definitely go with the strawberry lemonade. It has a really light flavor and a little bit of caffeine that I think helps keep me focused during my really tough intervals. And for heel, I like vanilla. I just feel like vanilla gets me into recovery mode. What about you? The vanilla heel is my favorite too. I find it mixes really well into my post-workout shakes that I make. Wait, what do you put in your shakes? Well, oftentimes just whatever I have in the fridge, sometimes vegetables, sometimes collagen, you know, whatever I have. Summer shakes are way more interesting because it's like I make them cold. But the winter shakes are a little less fancy. Do you ever add snow to your winter shakes? <laughs> I mean, I'm going to start doing that now. I don't know. Make sure it's clean snow. I am not quite as fancy. I just add water. It, I think it still works pretty well. But uh, however you like your Amino Co, you can rest assured that in clinical trials, muscle protein synthesis from exercise more than doubled by athletes using Perform and Heal was shown to trigger muscle growth and repair better than other high quality protein sources. Head to aminoco.com slash ironwomen to see very large photos of me and Haley using Aminoco products. Then select your favorite products and use code ironwomen for 30% off at checkout. First time purchases also come with a free gift. That's aminoco.com forward slash ironwomen and code ironwomen for 30% off. Chasing Epic is the essence of the Orca brand. It is about seeking the moments in life that make us feel truly alive and connected with the beauty of the world around us. And let's be real, Chasing Epic is feisty. Orca has been a longtime partner of Feisty and we work with them year after year because we love their products and their commitment to creating amazing wetsuits made for women. They also supported me on Team USA last year at the One Water Race, which was most definitely also Chasing Epic. With Orca's range of triathlon wetsuits, including Apex and Athlex, you can choose between flexibility, buoyancy, or a combination of both. There's a wetsuit for every triathlete and for all of your epic adventures. And as a feisty listener, you can get 15% off with the code IRONWOMEN15 at orca.com. All right, Alyssa, I'm like starting to swim more again. And I feel like you were swimming a lot last year with oh, with one water. And how did you keep your hair from getting so destroyed? I was swimming so much last year. And I used to try hard, Kelly, and I still swear by it. They have extensively researched this problem and created a superior vegan, dermatologically tested proprietary blend. Try hard has shampoo, conditioner, body wash, and more stuff. Everything you're gonna need for your pre and post swim necessities. I've also seen that top pros like Chelsea Sodaro and Lucy Charles Barkley also praise the effectiveness of Try Hard. I think it's like definitely changed how good I feel just coming out of chlorine. And we have a code right now too for anyone who wants to try, you know, <laughs> try Try Hard and stop suffering from dry, itchy skin, having their hair get all, you know, green, which happens to me because mine's like super blonde and get all beat up. You can try any of the TryHard products with the code 20FEISTY, that's 20FEISTY, for 20% off store-wide at tryhard.co. So that's 20FEISTY for 20% off at tryhard.co.